team effort. We are, we we are, fucking one or whatever it is. I don't know. I'm I'm. I don't know. I'm Caitlin. Who, who are you? I'm Haley. What, you're Haley. What is this? This is crime culture. This is a it's podcast that we have. Um. And you're you. And something yeah. something. Dr. Seuss, that is truer than true. There is no one what? alive who is youer than you. It's I think it's I think it's all the places you'll go, which is like a hot commodity at this time of year because graduations. That's true. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I should get a graduation gift for somebody, please don't make it that. Because what? when I it's when I tell you, someone has already kid. come up with it. The, all right, yeah, for a little kid, yes, but I'm talking about the like the high school and the college. Yeah. And even middle school graduates. Because give them money for drugs, not middle school. I was, <laughs> College, I was, sin- like high I, I was about to say, I would argue only do that with adult graduations and yeah. within reason. Um, however, no, because like you get doubles. All the, I know somebody who got three in one graduation, my high school graduation. She got three. I had never even heard of that book until a couple of years ago. So was it a graduation? I didn't get. Did it, you hear about so. it? Oh. No, but I'm saying, yeah. did you hear about it tangentially? It's from somebody else. Yeah, somebody else. Graduation. Through a graduation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it was very clever the first time somebody did it. Yeah. The novelty has worn off. Yeah. But the novelty of this podcast, however. It's going to wear um, off real quick because this is a giant bummer. Oh, well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm going into this completely unaware. So bummer for me. Yep. Bummer for us. Um, I'm looking back because I think the last episode I did was a bummer. The last episode I did. You did. Oh, yeah. It was the Cleveland kidnappings. Yeah. Yep. That was yeah, a huge bummer it was. as well. It was a bummer. It was a bummer. Uh, Not an owl yeah. in sight. Nope. You did a fun one with an owl. Hoo-hoo, bitch. As, as fun as murder can be, which it's not. Murder's not fun, but that owl theory, man. I sent that to a friend in North Carolina and was like, hey, did you hear about this? Because like. Owls be like, out there. They live in Raleigh, Durham proper. And I'm like, I want, I want the deets. They had never heard of it. Wow. And I was like, let me tell you something. Yeah. Let me tell you how many licks it takes to get to the center of the Tootsie Pop. Yeah. It's a fucking, it's a fucking, and, uh, uh, but. So this case is, um, the hi-fi murders mm-hmm. and you don't know anything about this. I know nothing about this. Like truly, I, it, like, does it have anything to do with like the phrase? I know probably not the movie or the show, High Fidelity, or the book. It does not. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's like, not as fun like as that. The opposite of lo-fi hip hop. No. I mean, it could kind of be because lo-fi hip hop is very calming, very like chill. Something yeah, this tells is not me this is a murder, so it's probably not chill. It's it's several murders, and um. Oh. I'm gonna start. I'm going to preface this by saying that uh, the specific details of this crime are extremely graphic, and um, there's going to be a trigger warning for torture and sexual assault. Oh, shit. So, just so everyone is aware of what we're going to be getting into today. But thank you for thank you for making us aware, and by us, I do mean, like, just me, but still. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is constantly on those lists of, like, what is, like, the most upsetting uh wikipedia articles or like the the rabbit hole wikipedia articles that you can go down Mm, not ideal Um, yeah not (laughs) not great it's not a super long one so hopefully we'll get out of here real quick not a super long one it's just Um, a super bummer yeah it is so where this crime took place is the hi-fi shop in ogden utah which is uh, a little bit north of salt lake city and this is an audio store think like radio shack but like better okay um and it had some really expensive equipment inside stephen dirks the mayor of ogden at the time said quote the hi-fi shop was right downtown on washington boulevard they sold upper end stereophonic equipment and they had a listening room people would come interact gather it was a safe community place yeah that sounds quote. like a great place to like yes. be able to go to I think today, I think I'll, I mean, I'll get into it a little bit later, but I think today it's a restaurant. Okay. I don't know. Uh, TBD once we get towards the end of the episode. Okay. So getting into the crime of it all. On the evening of April 22nd, 1974, shortly before closing time, six men in two vans approached the hi-fi shop intending to rob the place. 
Two men stayed in the getaway cars as drivers, while the other four, led by 21-year-old Dale Shelby Pierre, entered the shop with handguns. And quick sidebar right now, I'm going to refer to the criminals by their last mm-hmm. names, but I'll be using the victims' first names because there are some family members, oh. so that's going to get way yeah. too confusing. So the fa- like the, the victims uh, and survivors are all first names and last names for How criminals. Um. So inside the store, there were two young employees, 20-year-old Stanley Walker and 18-year-old Sherry Michelle Ainsley. In a lot of articles, she's referred to as just Michelle. So I think that's the name she Mm -hmm. went by. So that's the one I'm going to be using. The the Michelle? Okay. No. Um, So Michelle had only started working at the hi-fi shop the week before. Oh, my God. She was a... Yeah, she was a beautiful, smart girl who had just gotten engaged and her wedding was going to be set for later that summer. Yeah. Um, The men grabbed Stanley and Michelle and tied them up in the basement as they began to rob the store. Meanwhile, 16-year-old Byron Courtney Naisbitt, who went by Courtney, stopped at the Photoshop in downtown Ogden to pick up some pictures that he had developed. He had parked in the neighboring hi-fi shop lot and poked his head in to thank his friend Stanley for letting him park there when he was grabbed by Pierre and another assailant, 19-year-old William Andrews, and he was also tied up in the basement with Michelle and Stanley. As the night dragged on, Stanley's father, Oren Walker, was getting nervous that his son still wasn't home from work. This is Stanley's Mm. father, like I said. Um... He had a bad feeling in his gut, so he went down to the hi-fi shop to see what was going on. At the same time, Courtney's mother, uh, Carol Peterson Nesbitt, was also concerned that her son was not home yet from his quick errand, so Mm -hmm. she went to go find him. When both adults arrived at the hi-fi shop, they were also taken hostage and tied in the basement with the other three victims. And this is where the nightmare really begins, because... While two of the men stayed upstairs in the shop to continue with the robbery and loading all the equipment into the trucks, Pierre and Andrews remained in the basement with the hostages. Pierre instructed Andrews to go back to the van and retrieve a bottle in a brown bag. Pierre forced Oren to make the hostages drink the liquid, which he claimed was a combination of vodka and sleeping pills, but was actually Mm -hmm. Drano. Um... So I'll get back to the story in just a second, but I wanted to take a minute to talk about the effects of drinking Drano because it sounds like one of the most unpleasant things in the entire world. Um, And this this specific torture device is going to make more sense later. So according to an article published on Mount Sinai's website, symptoms of drinking drain cleaner include severe abdominal pain, difficulty breathing due to throat swelling, burns of the mouth and throat, rapid drop in blood pressure, severe tissue damage, diarrhea, and bloody vomit, just to name a few. The list kind of goes on from there. Uh, There are also extremely severe long-term effects of drinking drain cleaner, which can be worsened if the person does not receive immediate medical attention. I guess. I don't know if you can hear the whoop-whoops. Yeah, it sounds like it. I hear the whoop-whoops. Uh, the outlook on the website says, quote, swallowing this type of poison can have severe effects on many parts of the body. Damage to the esophagus and stomach continue to occur s- for several weeks after the sodium hydroxide was swallowed. Death may occur up to several months later from additional complications. Holes or perforations in the esophagus and stomach may cause serious infections in the inside spaces of the chest and abdomen, which may lead to death. Surgery may need may be needed if the chemical has perforated the esophagus, stomach, or mm. intestine, end quote. So this is highly, highly dangerous right. to be happening. And these guys force them to drink, like, yeah. cups full. Um, so it is safe to say that these people um, were in immense pain. Oren had refused Pierre's demands to force the others to drink the liquid, so he was bound, gagged, and left face down on the basement floor. The others were forced to sit up while Pierre and Andrew and and Williams, um, yeah, sorry, Williams is first name. Andrews uh, poured the liquid into their mouths. Um, they screamed and vomited, and blisters and burns appeared almost immediately. The criminals tried to tape the hostages' mouths shut to hold the drain cleaner in, but oozing blisters around their mouths prevented prevented the adhesive on the tape from sticking. The flesh around their mouths was yeah. literally just peeling away. That's 
that's yeah. and that's what I'm saying. That's the trigger warning yeah, for the. Like, uh, I don't even know yeah. how to respond to that. Like the the think of what drain cleaner exactly. does when you pour well, it down the drain. The, the the lack of humanity. That that is yeah. yeah that is more brutal than yes lining them yes. up and shooting them in the head. Um. Yeah. Like that's just that's so there was it was more than just killing. It was like, how can I torture this person? How can I make them suffer? And f- to do that to multiples. Yeah. At once to make them go through that yeah. torture of family members of having to watch these people that you all know, some of which very, very closely suffer in that way while mm-hmm. you are suffering in that way. Like that's just yeah and i think we talked about in the hinterkaifeck farm murders the um the maid that Mm -hmm. had just started Mm -hmm. working there like the Mm -hmm. the, like two days before when the whole family was killed thinking of like this is michelle's like second week on the job like oh my god talk about wrong place wrong time in the absolute worst circumstances oh in the exactly world. and the suffering that not just michelle had to deal with with that knowledge but that her family would have to deal with forever of just like yeah the, <sighs> and like i'll uh, i'll get back to it in a second but like this this happened over a period of three hours that i had read in a uh, several different articles and i just don't understand how a robbery on a bit it's on a main road like if you look at like the I yeah. looked at the map of Ogden while I was researching this and it's like it's their downtown area. How yeah. can how can this happen for 3 hours that people are literally just pulled up in two vans and are just loading shit back and forth into these trucks and no one's like that's a little fucking weird. Yeah. That's a that's a absolute no. Yeah, I don't understand um. that at all. Um, but anyway, so Oren was the last to be given the Drano, but after seeing the suffering of all of the other victims, uh, when it was poured into his mouth, he kind of just held it there, and when uh, he was then thrown to the floor again, he kind of let it just pour out of the side of his mouth and then mimic the screams of pain and convulsions of the others so that he wouldn't get caught, but he didn't, he, he did his best not to swallow any of it. Yeah. That's honestly the best thing that you can do. Exactly. Smart. Yeah. So the situation by this time had been going on for a while and Pierre was getting impatient because the deaths were taking much longer than he expected and were far too loud and messy. Out of frustration, he shot Courtney and Carol Nesbitt in the back of the head. He turned to Oren. uh, He turned to shoot Oren, but missed and then shot his son, Stanley, who died. Pierre turned the gun on Oren again, but only grazed the back of his head with the bullet. As if this situation needed to get any worse. Um, I read in one article that at this point, um, Andrews bailed and was like, uh, this is like a lot. I'm out. Um, I also Mm -hmm. heard from another article that Pierre just told him to like bounce for 30 minutes. Um, (gasps) Yeah. So whatever happens, Pierre was down there. Andrews left and Pierre dragged Michelle to the far side of the basement forced her at gunpoint to remove her clothes, and then sexually assaulted her. Um, Conflicting reports about this case also claimed that other men that were doing the robbery may have also assaulted her, but I can't confirm those, and I really didn't see those anywhere, but, like, this one mentioned that, like, maybe this happened. Um, Yeah. After he was done, Pierre dragged the still-naked Michelle back over to the other bodies on on the floor, threw her face down, and shot her in the back of the head as he did the others. Reportedly, her last words were, quote, I am too young to die. Oh, and my quote. God. Yeah. Oh, my God. That yeah. just broke my heart. Yeah. That's absolutely horrifying. Um, as the two men were about to leave, thinking that they had taken care of all the victims, they saw that Oren was still breathing. Pierre stood over him, wrapped a uh, wire around his throat, and attempted to strangle him. Since strangling someone is a lot harder to do in real life compared to movies, he couldn't do it. Um, And this part is, like, probably the most graphic part. So skip ahead if you're not interested in that. Um, 
Pierre then took a pen that he found in the room, put it in Oren's ear, and stomped on it. Um, the pen. Oh my God! Yes, the pen broke Oren's eardrum. <gasps> the, uh, it broke and it exited his throat. Uh, <gasps> yeah. He believed. Mm-mm. Yeah. Pierre believed that in addition to the Drano would be enough to kill him. So he and Andrews um, rejoined the others upstairs and left with their stolen goods. Um, <gasps> the only thing is, like I mentioned, Orrin didn't drink the Drano like the others. And although yeah. it would certainly do damage, the pen was not oh. going to kill him. So just three hours after oh the ordeal, God. Mrs. Walker, Oren's wife and Stanley's mother, came to the hi-fi shop with her other son. He heard noises coming from the basement and broke down the door while Mrs. Walker called the police. By the time help arrived on the scene, Stanley and Michelle were already dead. Carol was put in an ambulance and raced to the hospital, but was pronounced dead on arrival. Oren and Courtney survived, but with lasting physical and mental effects, of which I'll talk about after we talk about the trial. So... The brutality of the case is over. Now we're going to talk about the afterwards. Oh, so everyone, oh, my take a deep breath. It was a bad one. <sighs> that um, was... Oh my God, that's brutal. Yeah. So just hours after the news of the crime broke, an anonymous Air Force employee called the Ogden police and told them that Andrews had confided to him months earlier, quote, one of these days I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop and if anyone gets in the way, I'm going to kill them. End quote. Which is, like, that's a full confession. <laughs> yeah. That's... That's, and that's premeditation. Um, <laughs> like... So, hours later, two teenage boys dumpster diving near the Hill Air Force Base, where Pierre and Andrews were stationed, contacted the police after discovering the victims' wallets and purses, recognizing their pictures from their driver's licenses. And, yeah, I did say that Pierre and Andrews were stationed at an Air Force base because they were active service members in the United States Air Force at the time. Um, I want to say that all six of the men involved were Air Force members, but I'm not entirely sure because the only ones that are really ever talked about in this case are Pierre Andrews and another man named Keith Roberts. Um, and they were the only the only ones put on trial for the attack. So I have no information on any of the other people. Um, but Pierre, a little bit about him. He was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago and moved to Brooklyn, New York at the age of 17 in May, 1973. He entered the active service with the United States air force. And in September of that year was transferred to Hill air force base as a helicopter mechanic. Almost on arrival, he became the prime suspect on the October 5th, 1973 murder of Edward Jefferson, an Air Force sergeant Mm -hmm. at Hill Air Force Base, although police lacked enough evidence to file charges. At the time of the hi-fi murders, Pierre was out on bail for car theft from a Salt Lake City car dealer. So he was already, like, not a great dude before all this happened. Yeah, though, I mean, that, like... Lifting cars is a bit like that's an extreme jump. That's, you know what I'm yeah, trying to say? Yeah, that's an escalation beyond. Yes, more than most people, more than expected. Yeah. Um. So the detective who went to investigate at the Air Force base believed that the killers might be in the crowd. So um, he, while he was talking with everyone, he kind of put on a show. For everybody there. He spoke very dramatically as he waved each piece of evidence in the air with tongs as he removed it from the dumpster. And later he noted that most of the service personnel who were gathered around the dumpster stood still and watched in relative silence, with the exception of two men, later identified as Pierre and Andrews, um, who paced around the crowd, speaking loudly and making frantic gestures with their hands, otherwise just acting extremely guilty. <laughs> like yeah yeah if these two stick out like sore thumbs like all right they're honestly better for it yeah yeah better for it because you know what all the easier to catch these fucking monsters like this is (sighs) yeah so the detective later received an award from the utah branch of the justice department for his use of proactive techniques i don't know if it was that proactive but Mm. uh they were caught so whatever it takes to get somebody caught I guess. Go for yeah. it. Like, um, mm. So based on the two men's reactions to the evidence being removed from the trash bin and um, 
the officer's implication of Andrews, Pierre, and Roberts, uh, Roberts was also arrested at that time. A search warrant was then issued for their barracks. Police found flyers for the hi-fi shop and a rental contract for a unit at a public storage facility. Following the issuance of another search warrant, stereo equipment was taken from the hi-fi shop, later identified via serial numbers, was recovered from the storage unit. Also recovered was the half-empty bottle of Drano. With the collection of evidence, Pierre, Andrews, and Roberts were charged with first-degree murder and aggravated robbery. Literally, they did, like, nothing to hide what they did. They, like, had the rental contract for the storage facility in their possession. The storage facility had clearly all of the stuff that they sold. They didn't even bother getting rid of the Drano bottle. God, it's infuriating because it's shameless. Yeah. Like they weren't even smart enough to like go weeks or months without being caught. Like they were just fucking idiots from the jump. Is it intelligence or or a lack of intelligence? Because that's not the vibe I'm getting. I like I I don't take it. Typically, I'd be like, okay, people are stupid. But they thought like think about like we've just heard like the lengths that these people went to like they it's like they wanted to get caught it's like they wanted to be known for this which we have seen in some cases but this is just like like i don't think it's i don't i don't think it's like the other ones where it's just pure stupidity to me yeah yeah there's a uh, definitely premeditation but not really um any type of attempt to hide what they did no um I don't even know how they were planning on selling that equipment. I guess, I mean, I guess the goal is once you steal the equipment, you're going to sell it, right? So I don't know what they were going to try to do to sell the equipment because obviously that is going to be pretty hot because, like, there's the investigation on the several murders that you did. Maybe it would have been different if they had just, like, blindfolded everyone, tied them up and left them in the shop and, like, not killed them. I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, Pierre Andrews and Roberts shared a joint trial, which began on October 15th, 1974. They were all tried for first degree murder and robbery. During the trial, it was revealed that Pierre and Andrews had robbed the store with the intent of killing anyone they encountered. And in the months prior had been, had been looking for ways to commit murders quietly and cleanly. The two then repeatedly watched the film Magnum Force from 1973, in which a sex worker played by Margaret Avery was forced to drink Drano and is shown immediately dropping dead. Pierre and Andrews decided that this would be an effective and efficient method of murder and decided to use it for their own crime. So that's where they kind of got the idea for it. Um, So going into this idea for it, like just... Going into this movie a little bit, Magnum Force is um, kind of a a sequel-ish, I guess. Uh, it's the second movie to feature Clint Eastwood as the cop Dirty Harry after the 1971 film Dirty Harry, which mm-hmm. I think was also the inspiration for another crime that we had talked about because it is uh, ringing a bell. I'm now on the... Uh, Wikipedia page uh, to try to remember real life copycat and crimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Chichilla um, bus kidnapping. Chichilla, yeah. yes, yeah. Oh, that one was something where else. the uh, they put all the kids in a bus that was underground. Um, so these Jeez. these Dirty Harry movies probably not the fucking not greatest. Ideal. Yeah, not not ideal. Um, it has a seventy percent on Rotten Tomatoes and 77% audience score with over 25,000 ratings. The critics' consensus is, quote, Magnum Force ups the ante for the Dirty Harry franchise with a faster action and thrilling stunt work, end quote. Um, It has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb and 89% on Google. So it Mm. is a very, very much liked movie. Yeah. Um, Like... That seems. That yeah, seems it, like it, it. it. Whenever my a dad mo- I know likes. <laughs> yeah, whenever a movie is um, uh, 
the reason or one of the inspirations for a horrible, horrible crime, um, it kind of taints it a little in my, in my, yes. in my head. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, so survivor Oren Walker was the star witness for the prosecution at Pierre's clemency hearing. Oren said, quote, after he shot Mrs. Naysbitt first, then he kind of went on prancing or walking in a manner that I got the impression that he was kind of enjoying what he was doing. This has been hard for me. It's hard for me to believe that I was ever involved with this. My son Stanley's yeah. life was taken with just two shots in Drano. Oh he tried God. five different times to kill me. Each one could have been lethal. It certainly has changed yeah. our lives. End quote. Uh, yeah. He, yeah, that's absolutely horrible. Um, he, the fact that he was able to talk at this hearing right. was right. insane. Uh, well, he, I mean, he talked at the initial trial, and then this is for the clemency hearing, which is like afterwards or whatever. Um, okay. But he went on to talk about the effects of this ordeal that, ha that had on his family. He said that his younger son, traumatized by his older brother's murder, slept on a mattress in his parents' bedroom and refused to go into the basement of the house. Oren said, quote, most of my wife's time is spent in bed trying to forget, end quote. Oh, my God. Yeah. To think of, like, your, one of your sons died and your husband is obviously suffering, like, severe PTSD and, right. and going through just all the Something physical. Something horrific. Yeah, and all the yes. physical ailments that, that, like, this happens. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. And oh uh, due to his amnesia, Courtney Nesbitt was unable to testify, although mm -hmm. his father, Byron Hunter Nesbitt, did testify at the trial okay just a month hey, i mean that's something yeah go ahead just a month later on november 16th pierre and andrews were convicted of all charges roberts was convicted of only robbery he was acquitted of murder after the court found that he had no role or or knowledge of the murders four days later pierre and andrews were sentenced to death <clears throat> while in prison pierre changed his name 27 times god damn it Reportedly, it's always these motherfuckers yeah. Reportedly to protect his family name from notoriety, finally settling on the name. Can you guess what he changed his name to? Crap bag. It's his own name, but flipped around. Friends. So instead of. Oh, fuck. Fuck yeah. me. Miss me with that Erewhon bullshit. Instead of Absolutely Dale Selby not. Pierre, it was Pierre Dale Selby is what he transposed oh. his first, middle and last okay. names from birth as his legal name. Okay. I thought you meant he spelled it backwards. And I was like, that's that the would be fucking hilarious. Fucking thing no, he just that I have ever heard. He just took his first, middle, and last name and like tossed it in the air and like decided what he was going to change it to. Which also, not creative. Not creative. That's not, that also, you change your name 27 times and that's what, and that's comes, what you landed on. That's what you end it with. Fucking yes. idiot. But also, that's, people will still fucking find your ass. Yeah. Like, of course. You think they won't? You're reporting on it. Yeah. And your fucking pictures in the fucking newspapers, my dude. Yeah, um, if you if you wanted to protect your family, like I don't know, maybe just don't, don't do, do crimes. This. Yeah, at his clemency yeah. hearing, uh, he said that he had a strict upbringing and was a changed man. Of the crime, he said, "quote The crime took a course of its own. It wasn't planned that way. People kept coming in, and I just panicked. The only way to prevent what happened was to have been moved away from the air force entirely. Of course, the alcohol and the pills I was consuming didn't help. Valiums, Reds, Black Beauties, and Yellow Jackets. Everyone has a limit beyond which they won't go." drugs etc can't alter that limit i tell myself you have to accept responsibility for it you did it you were there you can't rationalize it end quote um however andrews said that he never saw pierre uh drunk or using drugs so um, interesting he might have just been no. talking out his ass i mean i i think that we can't really take either source yeah. as that's true gospel like that's just they're neither of them is trustworthy yeah so after being denied clemency pierre was executed by lethal injection on august 28th 1987 at the age of 34 at the time of his death pierre bequeathed all of his money which was 29 dollars to andrews pierre declined really? a last yeah right pierre declined a last meal instead spending his final day fasting praying and singing hymns and reading the bible his last words Late. were quote thank you i'm just going to say my prayers end quote the deseret news reports that pierre said to no one in particular moments before his execution quote i'll be glad when this is over end quote 
at Andrews's clemency hearing, his lawyers pointed to his age at the time of the crime, which was 19, and argued that he was on drugs at the time. They also said that he was a changed man, but Andrews's prison records show repeat violations for setting fires, concealing makeshift weapons, possessing drugs and alcohol, planning escapes, and assaulting guards during his time in jail. So wow. was he really that changed? No. Well, I mean, yeah, I say that was a rhetorical question, but you know what I mean? It's um, Andrews was executed by lethal injection on July 30th, 1992, at the age of 37, after 18 years on death row. His last meal was a banana split, which he shared with his niece and sister. Andrews' last words were, quote, thank you, thank those who tried so hard to keep me alive. I hope they continue to fight for equal justice after I'm gone. Tell my family goodbye and I love them, end quote. Um, equal justice. Well, there was, I, I didn't write about it because I, I honestly, I don't know that it had much foothold because, um, at, there were some appeals. Uh, the NAACP and Amnesty International campaigned to commute Pierre and Andrews' death sentences, uh, saying that they should be revoked because of racial bias. I'm just reading this from the Wikipedia article. Oh. They noted that the defendants were both black and the victims and jury were all white. According to Amnesty International, the sole black member of the jury pool was stricken uh, by the prosecution during uh, jury selection. However, it was revealed that the juror was dismissed because he was a law enforcement officer who personally knew, quote, just about everyone tied to the case, end quote. All right. But I see I can see both sides. That was not the right person for the jury, regardless. But you I can see that that is stacked. That's a stacked jury. Yeah. After Pierre's execution, a petition for a stay of Andrews's execution was submitted to the Inter-American Commissions for Human Rights, um, which petitioned um, that uh, there was a handwritten note that said, hang the N-word, had been found by um, a jury area during the recess. So that's that's not great. The reason why I didn't, like, put this specifically in my notes is just because I, I guess I didn't really see this as a racially motivated crime um it was during a robbery uh those people regardless of what race they were just happened to be in the building at the time and they were just going to kill whoever was there so Mm -hmm. i don't know that it made too much of a difference what race the people that were there the people that committed the crime i mean i don't know i can i can agree to to an extent i think that they were guilty no matter what but at the same time even the most guilty person is entitled to a trial with a jury of their peers um mm-hmm. so would that have changed anything not necessarily but we don't know and that's not that doesn't mean that like they don't still deserve that right yeah. no matter how horrible the wikipedia um, article specifically says quote lawyers for the state pointed out that the jury made makeup made perfect sense given ogden's demographics the city was overwhelmingly white at the time and was not intentional end quote so that doesn't that's not really an excuse no um and that, I, that's... I but again i don't know if 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 somebody if they had half black half white jury if all the black people would be like oh no they're innocent because they were very clearly not innocent yes yes doesn't matter what race they were they still did that they made people drink drano like yeah what the fuck they brutally killed people yeah they stole them from their families like it's it's there's no excusing there's no explaining away what they did yeah though again like it, it's it's the same i'd say it's the same argument as a person who has been arrested for a crime the that doesn't mean that it's okay for the cop to kill them yeah um like i'd say this is a similar argument um by no means were they not guilty did they not do something absolutely despicable and and horrific but I can also see that, like, that's a that's a bullshit excuse mm-hmm. on the the what do you call it? Um, the prosecution side as far as the jury. And. Yeah, it's. 
there's no there's no win. No. Nobody wins. Yeah, I mean, the people that did the crime are now dead. The people that the crime was done to are dead. Mm-hmm. So it's just all bad. <laughs> it's all yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, the other man involved in this, uh, Roberts, was sentenced to five years to life imprisonment and was paroled in 1987. After he was released, he moved to Chandler, Oklahoma to live with relatives and he died by suicide on August 8th, 1992, barely a week after Andrews's execution. Wow. Uh, he was one of the people, I don't know if he was one of the people specifically just in the getaway car or one of the people that was in the store doing the robbery, but not in the basement with the, the victims. Again, mm-hmm. I don't really have too much information on him specifically or any of the other people that were like doing the robbery or in the getaway cars right um as far as the victims go the survivors Oren survived with extensive burns to his mouth and chin as well as damage to his ear he died at the age of 69 Mm -hmm. on february 13th 2000 courtney was not expected to live at first he was released from the hospital 266 days after the attack and he suffered from irreparable brain damage and dealt with chronic pain for the rest of his life Despite the mental and physical wow. trauma he endured, Courtney was able to graduate from high school just two years after the ordeal. He later mm-hmm. went on to get married Good and lived him. until 2002 when he died at the age of 44. <gasps> he had, I mean, he had a lot of medical complications yeah. because of this and just afterwards. Yeah. Um, his father, but like, damn. Yeah. His father, doc- Dr. Byron Nesbitt, told the press after his son's death, quote, this is the end of the hi-fi story. I want this to be the end of it. End quote. And uh, yeah, Courtney was the last person alive from this case by 2002. Yeah. So um, all, all people involved, directly involved with the case uh, had died by 2002. So mm-hmm. that is the end of the hi-fi story. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of live on in pop culture in some sort of ways. Um, there is a movie called Aftermath, A Testament of Love from 1991. It's got an 83% audience score, a 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb, and the description is, quote, A family falls victim to a violent random crime. Surviving this ordeal, a man must try to hold his loved ones together and attempt to reassemble his own battered psyche, end quote. It stars Richard Chamberlain, who was in The Count of Monte Cristo, The Last Wave, and The Three Musketeers. Michael uh, Leonard, who was in Monster, Jeffrey Dahmer story. Um, she was in, uh, she was Mrs. Wilk on Scrubs, like that storyline. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And was also in a TV movie about Pamela Smart. So lots of like true crime connections wow. here. Um, there was, uh, this guy was in Hannibal and the three billboards over Ebbing Nebraska? Missouri. Missouri. Um, Missouri. Zelchko? Z-L-J-K-O? Doesn't ring a bell. Um, I have no idea. And Lisanne Falk, who was in Heathers. So, star-studded cast. Who was she in Heathers? Um, McNamara, I think. I think she was one of the Heathers. Oh, yes yes um i mean there were so many yeah there was was three um you can watch this whole movie on youtube i mean i found it on youtube go ahead and watch it um there's also season one episode three of violent minds uh killers on tape features um i think it's an oxygen show um and it features the criminals of this case it has a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb for the series, not for the specific episode. And then I also okay. found in my research a short from 2019 called Hi-Fi. And I couldn't find really any information besides the description on IMDb, which is, quote, based on real events. In April 1974, a 19-year-old girl named Michelle Ainsley was hired to work at the Hi-Fi stereo store in Ogden, Utah. One week later, she was dead. This short film imagines not the job interview Michelle was given, but rather the one she should have been given. End quote. Mm. Can't really find it anywhere. Apparently it was put out yeah. in 2019. But it does sound I mean, very interesting. Yeah, it sounds interesting, but not being able to find it anywhere, that makes me wonder Yeah, I mean, there was no rating for it. Respectful it might have been. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you could find it, let me know. 
Um, and probably most famously, there is a book titled Victim, The Other Side of Murder by Gary Kinder. It has a 4.21 out of 5 on Goodreads, 4.5 out of 5 on Amazon. And the description on both of those websites was, quote, Now a classic of true crime, Victim is a compelling and tragic look at how lives can be changed forever by a random act of violence. During an armed robbery, several hostages were brutally tortured, shot in the head, and left for dead. Victim focuses on the members of one family, including a mother who died after the attack and the son who was left barely alive, as they fought for his survival and struggled to rebuild their lives. Victim was the first book to go beyond the headlines and statistics about violent crime to tell the victim's dramatic story of love, loss, and courage. It remains one of the most influential books in the victim's rights movements and has become required reading in criminology courses across the country. It may be more relevant now than ever, end quote. And I believe the movie Aftermath, A Testament of Love, is kind of based on this book about the case instead of on the case itself. Um mm-hmm. I unfortunately could not find a place to get this book to read before this episode comes out um, because it was at my local library or local bookstore or anything. So I have to like order Mm -hmm. it kind of separately. I do really Mm -hmm. want to read this because of how highly it's rated and how uh, highly it's praised. Yeah, Um, it seems to be a very well received and, you know, we love we love a um, people will tell you if it's not done right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And this case, specifically, trainees at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, are taught about this case. It was included as a sample case in the FBI's crime classification manual. And I think they're also, like, specifically the book, Victim, um, is, like, kind of required reading for the FBI. Wow. That's honestly good. Like, like, these types of things should be, but, like... That's I think not it's often the case. I think it's important you know? because um, it is specifically about. It's not about like the gruesome nature of the crime. It's more specifically about the after effects and how these people kind of rebuilt their lives after going through something like this. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that makes it more important than kind of just like shock reading, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I am looking up now because I said I would. What is at the site of the hi-fi shop now? And it looks like it is in between. Like the the building itself has been knocked down. So like the address doesn't exist anymore. But it's in between a Five Guys and a restaurant that says it's permanently permanently closed called Cooper's Ogden, which looked like a baseball-themed restaurant. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, I mean, the whole that whole strip was knocked down. It it looks like the whole Good. downtown of Ogden was like completely rebuilt and everything like that. So, um, yeah, that building doesn't exist anymore, as it shouldn't, because it's, it's terrible. And I think I think that's it. Um, yeah. I think my my uh, palate cleanser for this episode. Oh, that's right. We still have one. Yeah, because everyone, oh, everyone take a fucking deep breath. Oof. I know, seriously. Okay. Except I, I won't because I'm like choking on pollen and smog. It's but, true. Uh, but we it's, did get through oof. it. Uh, but you did yes. inspire me uh, at the beginning of this episode. So I think my palate cleanser is going to be every iteration of high fidelity. <laughs> um, I, I was wondering where you were going with this. Uh, so it starts as a book by, um, I want to say it's, is it Nick Hornby? I'm going to be so upset if it's not Nick Hornby. I think it is. Because I love I think it is him just as an based author. on. Yes, Nick Hornby. So Nick Hornby wrote the book High Fidelity. It is an absolute classic. He also wrote about a boy, Fever Pitch, um, A Long Way Down, Did which is one really? of my favorites. Yeah. Um, uh Juliet Naked, I think, is another one that he wrote. He's a very famous writer. Okay. Um, yeah, I had no idea all of those were from him. Yes. So he wrote the book High Fidelity in 1995. It was then made into a movie starring... What's his face? Fuck, I love him. John Cusack. John, yeah, John Cusack. There it is. Love it. So yeah, it was then made into the John Cusack movie. 
It was then made into a musical that had a very short-lived uh, time on Broadway, which really? it was robbed. The uh, <laughs> the soundtrack is banging. I love it so much. I listen to it <laughs> frequently. It is so good. Um, and then it was made into another robbed series, short-lived, High Fidelity on Hulu, starring Zoe Kravitz and Jake Lacey. Um, yes. They gender flipped the main role, mm-hmm. so it's, it was Zoe Kravitz. It was it, it was only one season. It was so beautiful. I think you loved it. I think it got like halfway ruined because of the pandemic, because like it came out like right what before happened? the pandemic, and then I don't think it got renewed after like everything got shut down. Yeah, um, too too much to try to pick it back up. I understand, but it's such a great story in every iteration like i've loved every iteration of it and how it is evolved with every single generation because i think the the book was 1995 i think the first movie was in like the way early 2000s 2001 ish maybe the musical was when i was in high school and then high fidelity the series came out like 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 i said right before the pandemic so it's kind of like grown up with me <laughs> that um, oh yeah yeah like the book takes place in a sad a sad guy in london uh the <laughs> movie takes place a sad guy in chicago the <laughs> musical is in new york i think and then the the um tv show is also in new york maybe i think i think the i think the tv show is in new york it's yeah. a sad girl in new york Yes, that girl in New York. I am literally just pulling all of this off the top of my dome, but every single iteration of High Fidelity you should look at. And this isn't like, I didn't pick this to be cute because it's called the Hi-Fi Murders. That's like totally disrespectful. Uh, you just reminded me of it when when we were talking at the very beginning. Um, because when we before we started even recording, you asked like uh, how it was spelled. So it's H-I-F-I, which is not how High Fidelity is book movie tv show musical is spelled um but that's why i got inspired not to be like a fucking douchebag yeah. about this terrible terrible crime because no. honestly i was like tearing up writing this and reading about it so absolutely <laughs> it's a terror it, it's a terrible story but this yeah, is a palate I'm... cleanser to like bring you out of that so yeah yeah so you have something I'm... read something to watch and something to listen to the that's Honestly, you're covering all the bases. I'm covering all the bases. Thank you very much. But I'm sorry it's a little <laughs> bit of a short one. I'm gearing up for like a really, really, really big one. Because if Ooh, you like it? if you like look at our schedule, episode three hundred is coming out. I I I are you telling me to look at our no. schedule or okay, because I'm like, I don't they can't see the schedule. They can't see the schedule, but they do know that this is episode two ninety seven. Yeah, it's two ninety seven. <laughs> you had it. So um Episode 300 is coming up, and guess which bitch has episode 300 to research? So It's you. It's a me. Um, so yeah, I'm working on that, and I'm really hoping it's going to be a really, really good one. So bear with me. I think it will. That this is a little bit of a shorter one. I know what this is, and I can tell you it's going to be a good one. Okay, good. I can tell the, the, the folks listening that it's going to be a good one. You're yeah. going to like it. Put like all of your all of your wildest dreams. Wildest better. dreams. Haley's version. It is. <laughs> um, that is the end of the episode. You can. Do you want to listen to this episode a day early? You can join our Patreon. Mm. Uh, do you want to vote on an episode that you make us talk about something? You can do that on our yeah. Patreon. Force us. Haley is. If you want Haley, me to say got, your name at the end of the month, join our Patreon. <laughs> I got an incensed message from Haley the other night, being like, "The Patreon poll, all of the episodes are for this one topic, and I don't know what it is because it's one that I chose." Yes. And I was like, "It's okay, Boo. I got you. I got you. Like, yeah. we'll make it through together." But goddamn, if she was not like, "I don't know what this is." Yeah. So like, it's, it's gonna okay. be a surprise to me as well. Yeah. Um, Haley needs to join the Patreon so that she can get a exactly. say and vote against it. <laughs> 
search crime culture on Patreon or visit the links in our link tree, which is in the bios of any of our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. and Twitter. Give us a follow while you're there. Yeah, uh, we're here. give us a little likey like. Uh, we post memes every once in a while. You can also Old social snag. You can also join our Discord, which as we were recording this, we had someone join the Discord. So yes, huzzah! Um, Ayo, Ayo. Um, it's a fun little like chatty platform um, that you can join. We share good news with each other. We share photos of our pets, um, recommendations for stuff. Uh, we discuss uh, cases. Um, once episodes come out, I post little spoilers on Mondays. Um, it's really mm-hmm. fun. It's a small little community that we are um, really loving. And everyone in there is just the nicest people. So um, ask to join our Discord. Message us on any of our social medias. Um, yeah. Insta- Instagram and Still. Facebook are usually like the easiest ones because they're uh, the mm-hmm. most readily available. I can even answer you while I'm at work. So <gasps> if you want an immediate answer... Uh, I don't have access to the Instagram right now, but Facebook. Uh, if you message me on Facebook, I can do that. Um, and I think that's it. Um, mm-hmm. if you're anywhere, I mean, it's probably going to be not as bad by the time this episode comes out. But at the Hopefully. height, but while we're recording this episode, the um air quality in both of our areas is um really really bad god bless haley's is much worse (laughs) yeah it was orange today yeah um god bless every single person in the northeastern area of canada because i can Mm -hmm. only imagine if our air quality is this bad what it's like by you so everyone be staying safe wear that mask when you go outside yeah seriously it is helpful for that it's very legitimately yes wear the mask when you go outside i was wearing it most of spring because of allergies and it really does help um no it seriously does it really my eyes are still itchy but i am definitely breathing easier than some of my coworkers who were not wearing masks today exactly whatever um yeah yeah go ahead and do that stay safe wear a mask drink water um Make sure all your windows are closed if you have pets. I mean, for you as well, but your little babies. Yes. Make sure they are safe from breathing in these pollutants. Um, and Tinier lungs, tinier noses, yes. tinier mouths. Be safe. And we love you. Yeah. And we yes. will see you next Tuesday. <gasps> Bye. Bye. Bye.